Welcome to Richmond Law and Policy's podcast series. Richmond Law and Policy is a social justice law firm specializing in consumer protection class actions, representation of nonprofits and progressive businesses, and civil rights litigation concerning police misconduct. Our first season gets to the core of systemic issues regarding factory farming and is intended for educational purposes only. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jack Einstein, and I'm a policy fellow with the Richmond Law and Policy Group. I want to welcome you all to today's segment on factory farms with our interviewer, Casey Vick, and our guest, Terry Spence. Terry is the former head of the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project and personally resides on the front line of a decades-long battle against CAFOs near his home. Thank you for being here today, Terry, and thank you, Casey, for acting as our interviewer. My name is Casey, and I'm a student of someone who's been working on this project. So I'm very new to this issue, and I'm just now learning about the impact of CAFOs on communities. So getting to talk to you, someone who's been working on this issue for so long, is really special. So thank you for talking with us, and thank you, Jack, for allowing me to do this interview. so I think I want to start with just asking you about your many years of uh, working on fighting CAFOs in your community and what that's been like. Well, it's been, it's been a long experience. It uh, began in 1994. And that's when we, uh, in the Missouri legislation uh, in 1993, at the last end of the session, they passed a bill uh, that was hidden. Uh, that would allow uh, Missouri always had a corporate farming law, and and that what was hidden in that bill uh, took away uh, the right to farm in three counties in Missouri to allow corporate farming, and that's when it really began. Uh, and then we had a a large uh, AFO wanted to start building in 1995. And that's when the residents in my township, which is Lincoln Township in Northeast Missouri or North Central Missouri, uh, came together uh, when we found out what it was going to be like. I made a trip to North Carolina uh, at the very beginning of this to see what was happening there where all this began with the large CAFOs and confinement situations. And what I saw there really instilled in me that uh, you know, this is something that's going to be devastating to our region here in, in Missouri. So that's when it began, and it's been a long trial through a lot of uh, litigation uh, through the years, uh, all the way through the county level to the state level to the federal level. And we are still in a federal uh, consent decree uh, that was instilled in, in 2012, I believe it was, or no, 2002. And it is still ongoing. Uh, we have made some adjustments with the company, but we are still seeing a lot of issues that uh, really, uh, the, the odor issue is a really big ramification. So it's been a trying experience. Uh, it's really taken a, a lot of years out of my life in, in dealing with this, but I've got a lot of community members uh, that stood side by side with me, my family, uh, my grandchildren. You know, we all believe that, you know, the time that's been spent on this is well worthwhile because it's affecting everybody across this country right now. So that's just kind of a brief overview of 
Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm curious to hear more about um, what you talked about in the personal narrative that Jack shared with me um, about the physical and psychological, but also the social impacts of working on this issue in your community over these decades. It really, uh, it really amazed me back at the time uh, that people didn't clearly understand. They was listening to the company and they was you know, looking at the job aspect, uh, or we was always considered to be uh, uh, low income and, and devastated in North Missouri, which we weren't. At that time, we had a lot of farms and, and family farms and everything was going great. But once, uh, you know, this battle began uh, and the challenge was made by Lincoln Township against this corporation, uh, a lot of people deflected uh, or was in opposition to us, even uh, our community, our church. Uh, I can't say the church really was, but, you know, we could tell everywhere we went that there was, you know, that we was uh, taking a different avenue than they believed in. So it's, you know, it's uh, even family members, uh, relatives and stuff uh, reflected on that. It was challenging times, but, you know, there was a, whole group of us in this township that stuck together through the whole process that kept us all going because this is where it was happening was in our region it wasn't in in the city it wasn't uh, you know around a lot of our relatives so it was a trying time but you know that we felt that you know what we was doing was something that was really important as this as these type of operations move forward uh, in Missouri as well as everywhere else and it's, I think it's been well worth the battle, even though it took a lot out of my life and a lot of the people's with me, our lives, when we could have been uh, doing other things. But, you know, sometimes you have to stand for what you believe is right. Thank you. I'm so, I am interested also in hearing about the moments when your community lost legal battles. Um, and experienced losses, what that was like, and how you kind of maintained your motivation in those times? Well, going all the way through the court system, I mean, we was, the township was sued by the company right off because we instilled a zoning ordinance, uh, which in Missouri uh, counties do have the authority to establish a zoning, or, or townships do have the authority to establish a zoning ordinance. And we did that prior uh, to the Department of Natural Resources issuing a permit for this situation, they was well aware of it. And from, from there, uh, you know, they, they went ahead and issued the permit. Uh, the building's gonna be constructed and we tried to enforce our zoning ordinance and that's when we got sued for $7.9 million, uh, the tiny township of about 250 residents, which in reality, was a scare tactic, uh, trying to, to scare us out of what we was doing, but we held fast. And following that, we went all the way to Ames, Iowa. It was uh, a march all the way up there after Willie Nelson was here in 1995 to meet with Secretary Glickman and President Clinton at the real summit there. And during that aspect, when the media started following us a lot more is when they withdrew that and said it was really nothing about you know, the money, it was just uh, the taking of their property rights. So from there on, we went through, you know, through the uh, local uh, uh, county court 
and issuing that. And we got turned down there because they felt the court felt that it was uh, a lagoon or, or a hog barn was a, a part of farming. So from there, we proceeded on to the Supreme Court of Missouri, and we lost there also because it was considered a farming aspect of these buildings and lagoons. But in the long run, we knew it was probably a losing project, but we kept moving forward, and that really showed us, you know, that, that nothing could be done under that statute. So then we started looking into health ordinances, uh, something that the county health departments in Missouri could instill. And that went a long way. I think uh, the last I knew, we had 22 counties uh, with health ordinance in Missouri, which did not stop a CAFO from coming in, but it set restrictions on them that they had to comply with. So that was something that was probably the biggest project that came out of all of it, besides you know the federal consent decree that we end up with at the federal level. So it was it was disappointing in a lot of aspects, but you know this was a new venture for uh, us here in, in this township and in this state to, to see how we could cope with these type of operations, and that's the avenue we took. But you know, and and the worst aspect uh, through all the years and all the hundreds and probably thousands of meetings uh, that took place with the state of Missouri, with the Attorney General's office, uh, with the federal EPA, the US Department of Justice. The most saddening aspect of all of it was, you know, we were private citizens and everybody that sat around each one of these tables and all those meetings was on salary. And we had to forfeit everything uh, out of our own pockets to travel to all these meetings to DC, spend our time, and that's, you know, that was what probably irritated me more than anything. You know, they, they saw the jolly old time because they was, they was making their money and on their salary, but it was all the plane fares, everything was out of each one of our pockets that attended these meetings. So, you know, that just shows the dedication that we had a belief that, you know, that we could change things and uh, we're still trying. Because I'm new to this issue, um, I'm curious, what are the, um, you talked about these health ordinances and I'm a public health person, so my ears perked up. Um, and I'm, I wanna know what are the health concerns associated with CAFOs and how have you seen those affect people in your community? Well, there's, there, there's, I mean, it comes from the health aspects comes from different aspects. Some of it is from the, uh, the waste that is applied on the grounds that it, and it, uh, uh, releases, you know, a lot of toxic fumes uh, that goes into the water when it rains into our streams and tributaries. But one of the major things is is the odor and that's coming from the barns and the slimes that's in those barns. Uh, we have 72 barns that's a mile and three quarters from my farm with 80,000 head of hawks uh, at all times in these in these 72 barns. So, you know, that was really, I mean, besides the environmental aspect to our land and our soil and our water, the, the, the thing we really wanted to do through the federal lawsuit was to try to force them into doing something to control the odor uh, that emits from their barns because that contains, that odor contains somewhere around 160 different compounds that is havoc to, you know, individuals breathing and our, on our air we breathe. And there has been uh, several people in these regions, not only in ours, but uh, 
there's there's a lot of others. There's 15 or 16 or 17 operations just like this in, in our part of the state in three counties. So there's a lot more people affected by that. But it's it's uh, there is people that has a lot of asthma, has a lot of uh, problems with that. And the doctors that they see will dance around that, you know, this could be caused by this, but, you know, because of they don't want to take a stance because then that will be critical upon their, their clinics and their, their hospital and stuff. So it's, it's really been difficult. And through our federal lawsuit, we, we forced the company into trying a lot of different technologies to control this, uh, from biofilters to uh, a lot of different aspects. But at the end of the day, the company would not do nothing because it wasn't cost effective for them. It cost too much per hog, per pig, you know, to install these type of things. So then you have to stop and think, which is more important? Is it cost or is it public health? You just brought up the companies them, and themselves. And um, I imagine that working on this for so long, you've interacted with corporate ag a lot, even directly and interpersonally. Um, what have those experiences interacting with them been like? And do you have any interesting stories that you can share about those interactions? Well, the, our, the biggest challenge has been, um, and still is, you know, on on, on, not on litigation, but our legislative aspect and everything is the ag commodity groups. Have the one that's really promoting this, uh, the Cattlemen's Association, uh, the Pork Produce Association, the dairy, all these different ag commodity groups are for this. And, you know, in reality, you know, they're supposed to be representing, you know, the farmers uh, of Missouri, but they're siding with industry because that's where the money's at in the consolidation aspect. So I don't really have a lot of stories. I mean, it's just been, uh, but even sitting around the, the table with uh, the corporate entities, uh, I've been in, in, in in rooms in, in Washington, D.C., and Kansas City, and everywhere else with EPA and U.S. Department of Justice and uh, the, the big wheels, uh, I might say, in the industry that, you know, they just take it as a grain of salt because they know they've, they've got a, a, a glitch on everything. They, they, you know, they got their fingers with the ag commodity groups, with the state legislators uh, that, that they can get through what they want to get through. And, you know, the depositions we went through and stuff was, uh, was hideous, uh, trying to say that, you know, I, as a farmer, uh, you know, I probably, my cows probably cross the streams and pollute. And, you know, and, and I, my answer to that question was, sure, I have cows that maybe walks across the stream and, and defecate or urinate in that stream. But I said, it's not like uh, the, what load comes from you when you applicate applications on land or you have spills which we've seen uh, there was one early on that had 11 miles of streams uh, not far from me that was contaminated by a spill and killed 180,000 fish but I said you know what I do as a farmer is something that's always taken place when the, uh, the buffalo the antelope the deer everything else crosses these streams and we've never had any problems like this until, uh, you know, these type of operations come to where when there was a release, it killed everything. 
they, they always try to put it back on the farmer, but there's no reality between sustainability and, and what they're doing, period. So you also talk in your narrative about the community you live in. Have you lived there all your life? Yes, all except for two years. Uh, I worked in Kansas, uh, Excelsior Springs as a wiring assembly uh, foreman, but that was only two years I was away from this farm. This is where I was raised. And uh, we decided to move back uh, in 1967, I believe it was. And this is where we've been ever since. So my whole life, all except for two years, have been on this on this farm. That's beautiful. Um, I know that you you do this work in a lot of ways out of pride in your community, the people there, the land. Um, could you say more about that and how CAFOs and what they do in communities can harm those things that you're you're proud of and that you love? Well, I think in, in reality, it kind of goes back to like the old coal mining days uh, when large corporations came in and, you know, it wasn't long before all the, the towns became, you know, under their control. And that's, that's really the way it is here. You know, they do incentives to make themselves look good by, you know, giving or supplying uh, computers and stuff to the school systems uh, and, you know, making donations, which is, is really mediocre, but it keeps them in the, in, the, in the right frame of mind for the citizens. But in reality, what they're doing is just building a company town, you know, that they can really control, you know, the individuals as well as other things. Hey, Terry, this is Jack popping in for a quick question. Now, I've spoken with many people on this issue at this point, and one recurring theme that I've run into is that people face threats from either the industry or pro-industry community members. Have you ever experienced anything like this? Yes, I had one instance. Uh, I know uh, I received a letter in my mailbox that uh, stated if I continued doing what I've been doing, uh, my family, my home would be destroyed with fire. When I, when I received that, I put it in a bank box, sealed it up, and just left it there, which uh, my wife didn't know that I'd received it at the time. I never told her about it, which was wrong on my part. But when we got into uh, uh, the court aspect with, with, with them, uh, I brought it forward uh, and laid it on the table when we was in one of the meetings with the company and all the attorneys and EPA. And I just laid it out on the table and they, they said, well, what do, you, what do you make of this? And I said, well, I'm asking you what you make of this. I said, I've lived on that farm all my life. And I said, before you showed up, I never received anything like that before, a threat like that. And they said, well, how, what would make you think it was from us? And I said, who else could it be from? My neighbors like me, my community likes me. So, you know, that was the only threat that I would, uh, there was a few others, but that's all I would really like to relate on. That's fair, thank you for sharing that. Um... And you didn't end up reporting at all, at least until that court date? No. No, nobody knew about it. Uh, uh, my son-in-law was the only one that knew about it, that I'd received that letter. Wow. 
because I knew it was I knew it was a hoax, but I didn't want to disturb everybody. You know that that there was something and serious or serious about that. But I think it it kind of stunned them. Uh, they didn't really have an answer other than mm -hmm. you know, it, it couldn't have come from them. Right, and that's probably not a fun judgment call to make on your part either <laughs> on what to do with that. <laughs> I sure would know what to do with it at least. Um, yes, yeah. I just, I just, I just put it in a bank box and seal it in case uh, we ever needed to do fingerprints or anything like that. But nothing ever developed out of it. It was just another scare tactic, just like the lawsuit that they have applied on our township to try to deter us. In a perfect world, um, or if, if you had the power to to make all of the changes that you think are necessary, what would that world look like and what would it mean for your community? Well, I think the first step that would have to be taking is, is breaking up a monopoly. Uh, you know, the corporations that have, have gained control of our, are gaining control of our animal production, are gaining control of our food system. You know, and going back through time as a farmer, as, as my father, you know, my, beyond that, I mean, this country was built upon agriculture, sustainable agriculture, who, who farmers who farmed the land that, you know, raised the animals, provided for their communities, the economic aspect of the communities. All that is disappearing with what's taking place right now. And, you know, that is the word, and we've seen this this in this past year or, or since 2020, you know, with, with the epidemic and everything, that's what this has created with a consolidation control by food companies. People have went hungry in areas when at the same time, you know, they are exporting products to other countries while the American people, you know, are paying high prices and having a hard time <clears throat> receiving food. You know, we really need to turn this around, and I don't think it'll probably ever happen, but we really need to come together as citizens and people throughout, you know, to start pressuring back to regenerate bad culture, the ag culture that built our food system from the very beginning of time. With that, you know, we have thriving local communities, our products are sold there, money stays at home. And the way it is now with the uh, consolidation control, all money goes out. Uh, you know, most of the animals are owned by the corporations. Most of the products are brought in by the corporation head. So, you know, we've lost our processing plants, uh, uh, the small processing plants in Missouri as well as throughout the U.S. because of the consolidation. And if we'd had more uh, locally processing plants, we wouldn't have seen the destruction that took place this year and, and the destruction of poultry and hogs and everything else that, that took place. It was just, it was a waste. But, you know, that's, that's my view. Uh, I think, you know, that I hope every individual realizes that coming through this, I've, I've thought a lot of times on things that's happened that the general public will, will finally see the light, you know, what's taking place here but unless we get a sound food system back locally you know things is not going to improve as far as that aspect thank you I've, i'm working on a covid related project 
with a rural sociologist in Alabama, and I've been reading about, you know, rotting produce in fields and dumping milk down the drain, and <laughs> I mean, it's really depressing. Um, so yeah, those are such important and interesting points. Special thanks to Terry Spence, KC Vic, SRAP, Flag, and many others for making this podcast possible.